0: Hey, I'm Zach, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co hosts So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I've skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. This week on Zach on Film, we're taking a look at scripts because Zach hasn't turned his project on time, and... They want to chastise me for it this week on Zach on film.
1: Hello Zach. Hello Stephen. Many of our listeners have been anxiously awaiting your project that was assigned to you. Oh what about a month ago? Yeah do clamoring at the end, of, even. end of June something right like that. something like that. What's the status of this project?
0: Well, scripts written Story, oh, that's good. the storyboards are there they look like crap because i get depressed every time i start doing a storyboard because i can't draw mm-hmm. at all uh and uh, that's about it i've done some test uh shooting in
1: some places mm-hmm. you got some new gear we'll talk gear in another episode but yeah
0: um so, yeah and so that i've been gear. shooting with uh the the 5d mark ii with the 50 yeah yeah okay yeah so i was testing that because that's what i'm supposed to shoot with the project mm-hmm. and although i think that, that, that lens will work millimeter. on your camera won't it will it you'll
1: have to look yeah but the yeah, mark II is your...
0: a full frame sensor and oh my... yours is a crop it's... frame it's... yeah, yeah frame. so that
1: wouldn't be a true 50 millimeter lens but yeah. anyway we'll talk about that another time yeah 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 so you're still behind you still got to go and yeah, find some actors and I, shoot some things
0: i had some stuff come up so i'm a little behind of the filming
1: okay Marking the stand. I know.
0: I got the email. It's like this is what we're talking about today because Zach didn't turn this project. I was like, oh, I was like I've been not looking it. Uh, let's turn this into a positive. Okay, let's experience. be positive.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah Zach yeah, didn't fine, fail no, horribly. <laughs> he is not you actually,
1: useless. He's you actually, useful. You actually, you actually haven't failed yet, Zach. Um, okay. Oh, because <laughs> that will come when I turn the project. <laughs> since you are, you've yeah. written an original script, right? Yeah. Okay. So, it, yeah, you, here's something cool. You can learn some history through the, th- the history of Hollywood and filmmaking, through the history of the evolution of a script.
0: That'd be wonderful.
1: Now, would you like to learn some of that stuff?
0: Well, if I say no, this is going to be a short podcast, so I'm going to say
1: yes. Okay.
0: And yes, I would like to learn.
1: <laughs> okay, so let us go back. Back, 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 back. <laughs> Way back into the early days of film. All right. Once the people like Edison and uh, Lumiere Brothers or Lumiere Brothers uh, and others, so there were home, a whole bunch of different... Um, movie studios moving picture studios that had a different cameras different formats nothing was you know aligned yet mm-hmm. but in those early days people would still line up and go see movies and the lumiere brothers were really successful of this in the early late 1890s uh, up until about 1900 they would go out with their camera and they would just point at things rodrigo you've probably seen some of this stuff mm-hmm where they just go and point the camera at whatever a subject and roll camera. And then they take like six or seven of these little short one minute pieces, string them together and show them in a, in a Nickelodeon or, um, were they called Nickelodeons then? maybe they were called the Odeons or something.
2: Kinescopes, maybe
1: probably. Well, not the kinescopes. That was something much later, but they would show them. And and essentially we'll just say (laughs) Nickelodeons, a little place where you go and sit down and watch six minutes of a film. And you'd have these little bits. The one that I'm most familiar with is the Lumiere brothers. um, Workers leaving the Lumiere factory at, at lunchtime, and it's just people walking out of the gate, and walking by the camera, mm-hmm. and they do that for a minute, and that is the end of the piece. And now for a baby. Yeah, here's baby eating food. I can't imagine what that would be like, though. But, but
0: then, that time, yeah, seeing well, I mean, what they do is they moving. use their mouth.
1: Well, yeah, that's well, that's the thing. You you sit there and go, people having a pillow fight. How is that interesting? But it wasn't the subject, it was the fact that we're going right. to see like these. like that
0: happening. Yeah, yeah,
1: we're looking at these moving pictures. This is something that's never been seen before. Kind of like when, um, way back a long time ago, the Midwest drug here at the mall. Yeah. You know, they used to have a front window display and they would put up their, their HD televisions out in the window. Because people could walk by and we have not seen HD television before. We'll sit here and we'll watch this and look in fascination at... You know, there used to be even a channel called the HD Channel, mm-hmm. where it was nothing but mm-hmm. like sunrises and waterfalls and nature. And you and I would sit there and watch it for hours because I'm just like, this is so beautiful. Oh. <laughs> and so it's this novelty of it, right? Right. But in order to um, do these things, they really didn't have scripts. And these things were just simply called scenarios. Uh, and this is kind of our first very basic script. You know. A thing happens. A thing happens. Yeah. People leaving the factory at lunchtime. That was your scenario, and that worked for uh, a while, um, but by the time we hit 1902, they kind of took that scenario and realized that we can edit films together, and we can kind of tell a story. Not a not a it would be narrative, but it wasn't a complete story, and certainly the script was not what we know today as a script. So George Melies, who did uh, Trip to the Moon mm-hmm. in 1902. If you look at his script, it's just a series of scenarios, just in bullet point order. And in the scenario script, you would have something like scenario one, the scientific Congress at the uh, Astronomic Club. Scenario two, planning the trip, appointing the explorer servants farewell. Three, the workshops, constructing the projectile. Number four, the foundries, the chimney stacks, the casting of the monster gun cannon. Five, the astronomers, scientists enter the shell. Six, loading the gun. Seven, monster gun, goes off, boom, all that stuff. That was the script, and essentially it was left up to the director to do everything. The director and the cameraman did everything in the early days of motion picture. So if your script was like what uh, Melier was doing, you could just say, okay, people, when you come in, start doing this. And as the camera was rolling, the director would be shouting out, now act surprised, or now here's a moon demon, act surprised, and everybody would react. We're cutting, nobody move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Have you seen, what's the movie? Hugo. Have you seen Hugo? I didn't see Hugo. If you haven't seen Hugo yet, it is a wonderful little film uh, by uh, Scorsese Mm -hmm. um, that has a boy discovering George Millier, who is just an old broken down man and bringing his films to the public. Uh, It's a really great thing, (laughs) once you know a little bit about about that stuff. So I'd recommend seeing that. So really, the problem was... You didn't have really any way to convey a story in this. It was just all these scenarios strung together. And it worked that way all the way up until 1903.
3: Right. So 1903, have you heard? Uh, uh, the the Great Train Robbery, right, is one of those movies that everybody talks about. Mm-hmm.
1: Nobody's actually seen it. <laughs> <laughs> um, You've probably seen it. I mean, the, the biggest thing is um, with The Great Train Robbery is the ending shot where you have the bandit. In a medium shot, pointing his gun at the camera, pulling the trigger in smoke, and at the time, people just freaked out because they <laughs> thought the, the yeah. gun was going to shoot shoot them. You may have also seen it because this was one of the early attempts to do color in film where they were actually hand painting mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. film to bring color to it so it's it's uh, really well known and one of the times where we really start to see a story coalesce in in film so what they what they did did differently
3: there is that um is it uh, Edwin Porter, I believe. Um this was this was much more of a narrative film rather than just a collection of of random scenes um and it introduced i believe the master scene format mm-hmm. um and what that does is rather than just it it kind of breaks down a script into individual scenes but you know these these films are still silent and um it has a lot more description to work on and a right. lot more breakdown, but it's still kind of even though each individual clump is a lot more stratified, it's still pretty much up to the actors and director
1: as you're going to yeah.
3: to to break down what's what's actually happening so
1: so for example here's a here's a sample of the um of the great train robbery. This is your first scene mm-hmm. one interior of railroad telegraph office. Two mass robbers enter and compel the operator to get the signal block to stop the approaching train and make him write a fictitious order to the engineer to take water at this station instead of Red Lodge, the regular watering stop. The train comes to a standstill, seen through the window of the office. The conductor comes to the window, and the frightened operator delivers the orders while the bandits crouch out of sight, at the same time keeping him covered with the revolver. Or at the same time keeping him covered with the revolver. As soon as the conductor leaves, they fall upon the operator, bind and gag him, and hastily depart to catch the moving train. That is that first scene of the great train robbery and listeners, I'm going to put up um, these samples that we're talking about over in the, in the post over at major spoiler.com. So you can kind of see how these were formatted and laid out, but really it's, I mean, it's a little bit more detailed,
3: right? Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's like somebody telling you what happened. It's somebody telling you right. what happens in the scene. But if you think about it, like think about how you would shoot this scene, yeah. like, this tells you nothing about camera angles. It tells you nothing about what you're supposed to be looking at. It says basically convey this stuff. And then as you're going, you're supposed to do this. Um, and um, if I recall correctly, this scene does hit most of these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, it's like the the timing and the pacing of it, obviously, you know, to our modern very eyes, it's still yeah. very melodramatic and kind of stunted. But I mean, this was, this was, uh, a pioneering effort because yeah. prior to this, there were
1: actually there was actually no such thing as a script right. as such. Right? Yeah, not not certainly in this way. And that's that's really uh, interesting, Matthew, because it this master scene format mm-hmm. kind of led to a different type of production that was being done in at the in the movie studios at that time.
2: Right. Well, and from the beginning, I mean, if you if you go back to the the earliest days of your, your silent movies, you had that the director system. Where the director goes out, you got a guy with a camera, and the director says, walk around, walk out the gate. Now stop walking out the gate. Essentially, you have that director just going out and saying, this is what we're going to do. But as they, you know, as they transitioned, you eventually got to the point where, you know, you hear about the first unit shooting, the second unit shooting. You have groups of people who have, each have specific skills and what have you. Mm -hmm. They have their, you know, areas of responsibility. So that instead of just the one guy pointing the camera and the other guy telling you what to do, they actually have, you know, you can have a movie being shot at three different places at the same time.
1: Right. And that that so, actually came about moving from this director unit, which is what Matthew yeah, is describing as the director's that in charge. director's
2: unit, that system of. Ooh.
1: Yeah, we actually changed totally how we did um, film because of another guy. So uh, Rodrigo was just talking about Porter. And how mm-hmm. he took the Great Train Robbery mm-hmm. and developed this script and developed a way to tell a narrative story. Mm-hmm. Here's this guy named Ince, right? Okay. And if you, look, this great story about Ince. And this is mm-hmm. something that everyone can ah, learn you remember from. Ince. Great guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Tom, he's Thomas 40 Ince.
2: feet tall. He's got a head like a tree.
1: So if you're going to work in this industry, Zach, or make money or have a living of whatever it is that you're going to do, a couple of things that you have to do. You have to sell your project and sell your idea. And you have to sell yourself. And you have to have a really good idea that works. And in the case of Thomas Ince, Ince, it's almost like he had an idea that he sold to the studio system that was all about him, right? Mm -hmm. So what Thomas Ince did is he borrowed a suit, borrowed a fancy diamond ring, went to the New York Film Company, or Motion Picture Company, I forget what the exact title was. Um, But uh, he convinced them, and again, you have to think that movie production, even during this time, is all East Coast produced. And we'll watch the... um, um, oh, we'll watch a lot of films coming up, but you'll always hear them talk about the <laughs> East Coast office or the New York office. That's where everything was centrally headquartered. So Ince convinces these guys because he's dressed up and he looks like he knows what he's talking about because he's all fancy and he's got this idea. He's like, Hey guys, how about you build me a studio out in the West on the West coast so I can make Westerns. <laughs> Here's the thing. Ince really liked Westerns, Right. And I don't know his whole story, but there seemed to be there's a a better reason for him to go to the West Coast BI and just staying in...
3: Probably the look of things.
1: It really was. And and I don't remember when when a lot of the studios started moving westward. Um, But Ince went out to California, started building up studios, and he developed a new type of script uh, that we know today as the uh, continuity script. And the continuity script he really developed it. He was already a small independent filmmaker, but here he's taking this script and he's breaking it down into specific scenes, into specific shots and what goes on into these individual shots. And what he did was he developed this system that basically said, here's where things are taking place. Here's what's happening in the scene. Here's how, and then he basically, I don't, I don't know if he was a fan of Henry Ford or just a, a fan of this method, But he figured out that you could industrialize film production Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because you could look at a script and go, okay, in this script, I know that if it takes place at this time, this location, et cetera, Mm -hmm. that it's going to cost this much money. And I know we can get this much done in a day based on how these shots are constructed. And he developed, really started the studio system because of this script method that he developed, the continuity script. Mm -hmm. And um, instead of moving from the director unit system we moved to a studio system where there would be a producer who was in charge of all of these films. And you had studio heads, uh, writers who were in charge, you had editors, you had camera operators. I mean, you had the whole system owned by a single studio, and they could go out and they could crank out a lot of films simultaneously. You could have six films shooting simultaneously, and because of the way you could break the script down and understand what was going on in the script and how the script was budgeted, you didn't have to worry about, let's just finish this one picture, and when it's done, we can start on picture two. You could have people going on in the morning, shooting over here on this picture, and then in the afternoon, everybody's working on this other picture over here and have multiple movies in production at the same time.
0: So so did this, uh, before this uh, continuity script, were a lot of films still shot uh, in sequence, a lot of them did they, were. So did they start after this? this I mean, we better talked, detailing of scripts. Well, you did, you did they some. Go?
1: You did some research on uh, Eisenstein. Yeah, and you oh, know when he true. was popular, and you know that there was editing, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? But yeah, a lot of the times it was just like, okay, we're doing these pieces one right after the other. Right. But more importantly, as far as the production process goes, they were like, okay, we're working on civil war drama, right? And that's all we're working on. And as a studio, that's the only picture we're working on. And when we're done with that, then we can start the production of this next one because we know where all our money is going to. In the studio system, the studio owned everything, right? Mm -hmm. They owned all the means of production. And because they could budget things correctly, they could go in and, and work on multiple pictures at the same time. So they may have gone from one picture a week in production to 12 pictures or 15 pictures being done in an entire week. Mm-hmm. And because they owned the entire process from the writers, I mean, you could go and there's a whole place yep. where writers would just sit and crank out scripts. They owned actors. Studios owned the actor. You couldn't go like today. You couldn't be George Clooney and go work for Paramount and then 20th Century Fox and then Universal. You worked for Company X and right. and D.W. Griffith and um, crap. Who was the other one? Max Sennett. Senate. they all formed, what was it, Triangle Picture Group?
2: Triangle Motion Picture Company.
1: And, you know, this was the first studio that, we use a term, and I'm going to ask you about this again, vertical integration. They were the first vertically integrated studio. What does vertical integration mean? Um, I kind of already told you, I mean, but there's that's, a little bit more a lot, to it than that. That
0: was a, um, Vertical integration was about the studio's owning
1: theaters also theaters was the big thing because once you produce it then you have to go out and show it right So vertical integration is a, a, an
3: economic and, and political term and it applies to movie studios but actually in it, generally it's it's a it's part of economics um, and, uh, and and kind of United States policy and it basically says that um, when a company controls not just the production but also the distribution, and mm-hmm. potentially other things along the way, right. they can essentially hedge out other companies and thus establish a monopoly of yeah. sorts
1: or, or this an case, actual monopoly. Or in yeah. this case, it was called an ol- oligopoly because no, it an was five Oliopoly. Oliopoly because you had five different studios <laughs> doing this. So the cool thing was because you're in this studio system and because of the way that the studios had either own the movie theater. So when you see Fox theaters, mm-hmm. those were more than likely owned by 20th Century Fox. Lowe's, I think, was an independent chain. Odeon was an independent chain, but they would have exclusive deals with studios. And because the studios were cranking out movies so quickly under the system, they were forcing these movies like 15 movies a month out on these on these theaters. And so theaters had to do it because that's what they were required to do. And so I guess in a sense, it makes sense, I think, in a way. That there was so much being generated. Right. You didn't have television at this time. Right. But you could go to the theater. And I remember there was this PBS show, PBS show that ran a long time ago when I was a kid. It would run like on Saturdays. And on Saturdays when we didn't go to church, I could sit home and watch this. And it would be a show that basically was a theater experience from from that time period. You would mm-hmm. go in and they would run a newsreel. Mm-hmm. You would have um, two short subjects, usually a comedy mm-hmm. and usually a comedy. A (laughs) two-reeler. Then you would have... The Bowery Boys. Oh, you could have a serial, I guess, would be included in that. So you could have a comedy and a serial, so your Rocket Men to the Moon and your Bowery Boys would be in that. And then you would have a main feature, and then you might have a double feature. So this show ran from like 6 o'clock at night, and 6 to probably 8, 8.30, I think, Mm -hmm. on PBS. I forget what the name of the show was. And it may have only been local. But it gave you this experience of what it was like to go to a movie at that time. And if you're in a company, if you're a studio that's just cranking the stuff out all the time, there's always something to be shown. So it wouldn't—it makes sense that you could have double features that are running with stuff. It makes sense that every Saturday you'd have a reason to go down to the movie theater because you knew that there was something new going on. Plus, you wanted to see what happened to, to Tom Mix next. Uh-huh. you know. So in a sense, from an audience perspective, there's nothing wrong with having all that content in a time where people are starving for content. Right. Unless you're an independent person, right? If you're an independent, if you're not one of the big five, how are you going to get your film shown? Mm-hmm. And that's where Matthew. the government steps. The government steps in,
3: <laughs> right? The, the government turns yeah. an eye to to the movie industry and says, oh, this is a monopoly, and we're in the business of busting monopolies nowadays, yeah, especially yep. especially then, right, yep. Matthew?
2: Oh yeah, dating back to like the the late 1800s with the Sherman Antitrust Act, the basically United States government was trying to Keep anti-competitive behaviors. You couldn't necessarily be, you know, your Carnegie Steel owning everything and forcing everyone else out of the business. And that definition is exactly what you had under that studio system. That vertical integration was essentially five people, five studios under, you know, five very rich people, I'm sure, controlling all of the means of production in Hollywood. You didn't get a movie made. Without going through, you know, who were the big five, Stephen?
1: Oh, you well, you Paramount. know, Paramount and Fox, and I'm sure mm-hmm. in, MGM was one of them. Um, yeah,
2: your Jack Mayers and like that. But essentially it was uh, by 1948. It essentially came up before the Supreme Court. Again, it's a situation where just like Carnegie Steel, they were considering it to be uh, a monopoly. I believe they refer to it as a, a trust uh, specifically mm-hmm. that that has all sorts of uh, connotations to it but essentially the supreme court said this is th- this goes against the the way that we operate in the united states this is a monopoly it's a trust so they actually broke up some of those studios basically those exclusive arrangements that were in play can no longer right. be so, they
3: basically the studios had to sell the theaters
1: essentially yep.
2: they couldn't um, own the theaters right. and the the production
1: so here were the big here were the big five. Lowe's MGM that was one. Mm-hmm. So the Lowe's theaters were MGM, right. Paramount, Fox, which is Twentieth Century Fox, Warner Brothers, and RKO. Those were the big five.
2: Right, right. Now and RKO after kind of disappeared off the face of- then you had the the, the minor two,
1: which was Universal and Columbia.
3: Right. Now after that, the studios were still trying pretty hard to. Essentially manipulate the market. So right, even right, after right. that, they would still bundle yeah, but, stuff I mean, together. Yeah, where they were saying, if you want to, hey, newly independent theater, mm-hmm. if you want to air our, you know, obviously not at the time, but you know, our, our blockbuster, our big, you know, I don't know, our Avatar. Yeah. You want this money yeah. keg? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. If you if you want this period's uh, Independence Day um which (laughs) probably probably king kong king
2: kong yes king kong gone with the wind
3: if you if you want to air king kong you also have to air all of these terrible b movies yeah yeah.
1: um and and so that's the only way that you can do it and before they were just forcing you know just saying here's 15 movies for you guys there right now they had to bundle it to no more than five right Mm -hmm. right and that really changed the studio system uh it got rid of it completely And so now studios were like, look, if we can't produce the movies and we can't show the movies and most of the theater, most of the studios divested of the theaters. And what I, you know, again, let's take a step back. When we look at the grand movie palaces, Mm -hmm. the only reason why we had the grand movie palaces was because of the, uh, because of the studio system, right? They were pumping money to make the Lowe's theater better than the Fox theater, better than the Paramount. Mm -hmm. And you build these beautiful theaters. Some of them are still around. A lot of them are lost, but you know, I think antitrust and, and again, it's nothing's good when you deal with antitrust. <laughs> right. But in this case, I really think we lost something special about the movie going experience where we're not going to deck this thing out like an ancient uh, Arabic marketplace. Mm-hmm. We're going to put you in a little black box <laughs> and show a picture. <laughs> right. So I think that that's something that was lost in that. But, time period. But,
3: but likewise, nowadays, you can actually go to any theater and see any movie, right? as opposed to back then where you had to go to the Fox to watch a Fox feature or to the MGM Grand to watch, I don't know, an MGM movie.
1: An MGM MGM movie, (laughs) To to watch a lion scream at you for a while. 1948 is when the antitrust law uh, came out, United States versus Paramount et al. By 1955, the central studio system which we're talking about was completely dead. The continuity script really didn't have a purpose anymore because – Studios were not working in this way. They wanted, you know, if a movie, if the studio was going to make something that was going to make them money, they weren't just going to crank out schlock like Rodrigo was saying. Mm -hmm. They had to make sure that it was worth their time, effort, and energy. And they didn't want to take on all the responsibility themselves. So, 1955, you've got film, no longer vertically integrated. Television is just eating up audiences left and right. And so, the studio's... Starting to shrink, say, hey, look, producers, we will finance and distribute your film, but we are no longer going to hire writers. We're we're not going to have a writing staff. We're no longer. And then actors, of course, leaving uh, left and right as well, forming their own groups and unions. You know, we're not going to employ them full time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Producers, all of this is now being dumped upon you to do this. So the producer would have to come up with a script. Uh, they would have to go and sell it. They would have mm-hmm. to find the writers. They'd have to hire the actors. They would hire the directors. So we move into a script format that needed again to be sold to the studio. And this is where we get into our master scene script. The last final stage of where we're at today in the motion picture industry. And as far as strips are, scripts are concerned, we no longer have to in a master, um, scene script, have to worry about all the camera angles. We don't have to worry about the cuts and the dissolves and, and all of that <laughs> stuff. The budget.
3: <laughs> how much is how this scene going to cost? Well, and that's one, of the,
1: that's one of the nice things about the continuity script, which I still like. And that that kind of got into that idea of one page equals one minute, $1,000 mm-hmm. for production budget, that kind of stuff. And you can still get that out of the master scene script, but essentially, if you're selling the studio on something, you don't want to cut two. Extreme close-up of girl's face with the lighting hitting just right across her face. No, you want to make the script as readable as possible. Right.
2: So they can clearly see this is where your money's going.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: Uh, Obviously, if there's something
3: something obvious that the scene needs, then you do say, this entire scene is shot at a mirror, you know, Mm -hmm, and like they're looking at each other through a mirror. Right. You do say stuff like that, but you don't need to describe the entire house. Right.
1: You don't need to do a shot by shot, or cut by right, cut. Right, exactly, down. exactly. Yeah, and right. typically you start moving things out. Unless there's a reason for a dissolve, you don't include dissolves right. in there. Mm-hmm. You don't include cuts in there. You don't include a lot of the things in that format. But what happened in the master scene script format is things got super, super rigid, right? Hmm. You start your with a scene heading. you start with an, You have include the action. Um, you have character names and parentheticals and all these things that have to be formatted in just an, a, a so-so way so that it's easily readable. Hmm. I want to pull up just real quickly. And again, listeners, I'm going to put put this in the, um, in the show notes for this, an example of a script that's properly formatted in this way. This is from The Godfather, 1972. And um, where is it at? There it is. I just wanted to bring this up so you could see or hear how this this is properly formatted. So you have uh, interior, Don's office, day. So we know right away that this is taking place during the daytime in Don Corleone's office, and it's inside, Mm -hmm. right? Exterior would be exterior. Um, Hagen is alone in the office. He's drinking. He looks up at the sound of cars. Um, the, The families are arriving. Then he hears footsteps. The door opens, and... And in a robe of slippers, Don Corleone slowly enters the room. He walks directly towards his stuffed armchair and sits down. His face is stern as he looks into Hagen's eyes. Don Corleone. Give me a drop of whatever he is. It's Anaceti. Uh, Hagen rises. He pours a glass for the old man. Don Corleone. My wife was weeping before she fell asleep outside my window. I saw my, um, what is it, the corporals? What is it? Cor- capo? What is it? The capos. Let's just call them the capos.
2: Capo de capo.
1: Yeah, Uh, to the house when it's midnight. So, consigliere, consigliere, the Italian is even worse than my English. (laughs) Consigliere. I think you should tell your Don what everyone knows. Hagen, and then parenthetically, quietly, I didn't tell Mama anything. I was about to come up and wake you and tell you just now. Don Corleone, but you need a drink first. Hagen, yes. Don Corleone, now you've had your drink. Pause. Hagen, they shot Sonny on the causeway. He's dead. Don Corleone blinks. Uh, One feels that just for a second he loses all physical strength. He clasps his hands in front of him, on top of the desks, and looks into Hagen's eyes. That's the end of that, or at least that's the end of this page, mm-hmm. right? So that is that format. It's really rigid, and again, it's there for readability. You can right. read through this, and it reads very easily, and it's also mm-hmm. easy to mark up notes and mark things around. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a pain in the ass to format. You have you did you have to format oh, yeah. stuff in college? I, I
3: did, and. Unlike some of my classmates I couldn't afford any fancy schmancy programs so I had to do it all in a uh, w- typewriter word No 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 not quite but yeah I had to do it all in a word normal word processor when I, when I And was... I did I did have professors throw the <laughs> script back at me and say this isn't properly formatted yeah. I'll give you until like the end of the day to
1: yeah, format it correctly And, and, I, and I, for me word processors as a word processor were just right. coming into being a lot of my early scripts were still typed and you had to have proper <laughs> tabs set up mm-hmm. and you had to have your margins exactly at this height and this height all the way around i think it's like 1 inch left and right uh, inch and a half top and bottom your your dialogue all has to start at this particular spot mm-hmm. and parentheticals have to be indented this far your um because it's not it's not just that everything's centered right right mm-hmm. everything's
3: justified and centered mm-hmm. right
1: yeah and so like your text has to be you know, indented this mm-hmm. far left and right margins justified and all this stuff. It's a pain to do it. But here's the reason why your instructor throws it out. Right. I mean it's it gets so it gets to the point where you have to have your script three hole punched and you have to use a uh, brass brad of a certain length. Can't use the two inches. You have to have a brass brad of a certain length and you can only use two of them, one at the top, one at the bottom, so you have your middle hole is empty. Right? This is how strict this is. <laughs> By the way, my classmate Brass Brad also failed that class. <laughs> <laughs> He's a super villain
2: now. Fought yeah. uh, Alpha Flight.
1: So why would you want to format your script into this very precise, almost, I don't know what else you would call it uh, as far as... Obsessive. You
2: know, obsessive. Compulsive. Uh, yeah, it's a very obsessive compulsive. <laughs> why would you want to do that? Specific. Uh,
0: so the studio will actually read it.
1: Well, yeah, and I guess that comes to the point of... If it's not properly formatted, Mm -hmm. what does that tell me, somebody who you're trying to pitch your story to, about you? You don't,
0: that I don't really know what I'm doing.
1: Yeah, that you don't know what you're doing. So this guy doesn't know how to properly format a script. Good luck trying to get, uh, you know, $100,000 out of us or a million dollars out of us or whatever.
3: And and it's an easy
1: way for the studio to cut down on the work that they have Mm -hmm. to do. And we've talked about, I don't know, I know we've talked about it in class. We haven't talked about it on the show, but grants as a way to raise money. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. the reason why the grants are so structured in a specific way is because if you don't structure it that way, it's easy to just toss that yep. out and yep. narrow down that list of people that you're going to work with. So your scripts do need to be, it tells them, tells the studio a lot about you even before you meet them face to face.
2: I mean, it, I actually was watching the other day. I saw something where Kevin Smith was talking about getting the funding to yeah. make red state. Yeah. Kevin Smith, he's a known quantity in Hollywood, but people would not fund red state because they didn't know what it was and he had to you know jump through all the hoops and finally what it came down to was the guy who funded him he went in he had his script and he had all of his stuff and set up in exactly the way you're supposed to get it and the guy said no i know you know how to make a movie because i saw a poster that had your name right next to bruce willis's name <laughs> so kevin smith you know years and years 15 years in hollywood couldn't get this made Until he had somebody look at it and go, okay, well, yeah, you worked with Bruce Willis. You must be legit. It's kind of that same process. If you have the knowledge necessary, basically, if you have the basic knowledge to get yourself into the secret society, then they'll consider whether they even want to talk to you.
3: You know, it it, it, is, I mean, it is a means to keep out... The riffraff. Yeah, absolutely. I it. mean, you have to spend some amount of time figuring this out at the very least, yeah. or at yeah. most, well, maybe not at most, but to a certain you know, uh, paying a, a bunch of money to go to film school, or yeah. not that much money to go to film school, definitely <laughs> a bunch of money in my case. Mm-hmm.
2: Or getting, you know, getting to the point where you have been in the industry enough to know that this is capital letters the way it's done
1: yeah right i know people hate know it when i say that the but. way <laughs> it's done
2: oh, <laughs> i hate it i hate that kind of structured thinking and i hate that rigidity but on the other hand i understand it especially you know it, if you come into my store and you say i've got this action comics number one and you, you flip it up on the counter and you've got it wrapped in you know bubble wrap or you've got it in one of those you know Self-faint. little plastic slider things that you have in the notebooks, the three-ring binder oh, yeah. things. And you put, <laughs> Roll it up. And you put, put, in you a put some lock crappy Tape on it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You have failed the basic knowledge check of, okay, I, I, I don't even care what you've got in that bag because it's clearly not an Action Comics number one because, A, you don't have the basic level of knowledge and access necessary to even get your hands on an Action Comics number one. And it's it's that same thought process. If you don't know how, you know, to stick a Brad in a script, how are you going to control a multimillion dollar publication? How are you going to make sure that your 30 days of shooting doesn't stretch out into 250 days of of Heaven's Gate shooting and end up bringing down a studio like Cleopatra did in 1967?
1: Now, here's the thing. When I had to do it with a typewriter, it sucked.
0: Yeah. When
1: Rodrigo that. had to do it in the early days of computers, it, it sucked.
0: No. With his wang. With his wang. <laughs>
1: um, final,
3: I mean, Final Draft was
1: already oh, around. Yeah, yeah. I just couldn't afford yeah, I, I think writing software. I remember meeting with the Final Draft people like on version 1.0. I was mm-hmm. at a show and they came up and said, oh, can you guys come over and talk to us about this? And I was like, yeah, okay, let's take a look at it. And we talked with them and they were like talking about four or $500 for this. And I was like, are you kidding? How are people going to be able yeah. to afford this? He's like, well, you know, we're selling it to these people, not just right. to the average Joe. So they could justify the price. But, yeah, to an average student, some no, of that no, software no. is really expensive. Today, so Final, expensive. Draft, Final Draft has kind of become the de facto, right. uh, kind of like an Avid system is kind of uh, yeah. the old, the grand old. Uh, uh, Uba. Editing, Uba yeah. Yeah, yeah, of the editing software. Final Draft has kind of become that. Um, Movie Magic Screenwriter, I've never used that, but a lot mm-hmm. of people are really. Po- I think it's really good. Um, Montage is one that you can get through the App Store.
2: Even Rocky had them on.
1: Uh Adobe Story is one that is out there. That's we've used that. Using. We've used that with um or we used to use it with um uh want list. Remember yeah. when we used to do the Wantlist Act? <laughs> I remember that.
0: <laughs> before <laughs> Captain's impressive tonight. Captain. tonight.
1: In the in the law lo- in the, the long ago dark ta- time. Yes. Yeah. The dark uh, times, the of times the long long time The one that I like a lot is Celtics or Celtics, C-E-L-T-X.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the one that I require all my students to use in class. It's yeah. Cell Texas. It's, it's good. Um, it's really good. It's um, is it still free?
0: Yep. Uh, not through the App Store. Through
1: your, through your computer type machine. Oh, through a uh, cloud based I think through their cloud based web version yeah. of it. It's free. Yeah, but it's like twenty bucks or thirty bucks or something like that. It's through um, the App. Yeah. Through the App Store, and it and it works really really well. And it's just basically you say, hey, I'm doing a movie script, and all you have to do is start typing. And it starts sensing what you're wanting, and you can Mm -hmm. just hit a tab key, and it knows that after you've done a description, Mm -hmm. that when you hit that tab key, it'll jump over and start putting in the name in, and as soon as you hit return Mm -hmm. on the name, it says, okay, the thing that follows is either a parenthetical or a dialogue, and it starts formatting things perfectly, and you can put up, if you start with a parentheses, it pushes it in, and... It's a great little program I really like. Yeah, it that's
0: lot. what I always used until uh, I jumped on the Adobe Cloud. Yeah, yeah, uh, got Bandwagon. Story part I'm,
1: of that. I, I use Story for mine. Mm-hmm. Do you like how it integrates?
0: Yeah, I haven't um, fully thrown Story into um, a workflow oh, trial okay. yet mm-hmm. just because uh, I haven't had... A desire to try I, to do it because I
1: haven't done my production. <laughs> uh, like because I, I haven't, haven't done, done my do.
3: project. I mean, definitely yeah, having I, software like that is
1: really useful because you don't have to think about formatting while you're typing. Right, yeah, is nice. Yeah. Now I would double check once you print it out if before you send it off to somebody. Oh yeah, make sure that it, all the margins and everything are right. correct. Yeah, um, and you had you have
3: on here a, a a website right that you were talking about that has. All the guidelines.
1: Yes. Uh huh. Yeah, and I've got that in the link as well. Um, story dot com has all the formatting um, guidelines that you need for that. So do check that out. The good tell thing it. is, Zach, I looked at your script the other day, um, and you have it properly formatted. So you got that going for you. Because I, the the thing is, I tell my students, here's how you format your script. Here's the software that I want you to use, and they're still turning in stuff that either is not in a two column format, which we didn't talk about, because that's more for television production. Yeah. And live television production. I don't like that. Um, but I prefer the movie script format for the readability in this format. Um, and people are still turning it in either handwritten or you know, handwritten, handwritten pencil. Rip it out of their notebook, cut type stuff. Oh, and it's just like, are you kidding me?
0: Even I, I don't hand, buy I hand, that. I hand wrote this script. Generally, if I if I like if I get stuck on writing, I switch the medium that I'm writing in. And so I wrote. Yes, actually, but you do? No, no, but no, you, but no turn I, it in. No, yeah. I wrote all of this in on a pad of paper, yeah, and then no, I put it into story. It's
3: it's fine <sighs> if you write your scripts in, uh, 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 with with like a with charcoal on a sidewalk, a quilla, as, long as, right? you, yeah, so as long as you yeah, as
1: <laughs> long as trans- you transcribe them afterwards. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, this is. I think this year is going to be the thing where if it's not in the proper format, it's going to be handed back to you, and you're going to get a zero because number one, you didn't do it in the proper format and number 2 by the time you do put it in the proper format the assignment's going to be late by the time you turn it yeah. back in so
3: i had i had a professor hand me back one a whole script because i didn't have fade in in, oh, the, and, first yeah, yeah, yeah. in oh, the first man. scene oh and he's like he's like this is not a script yeah, yeah. and i'm like well what's wrong with this like you don't have fade in in the first scene and and i'm like and
1: i'm guessing you didn't have fade out at the end
3: uh no i didn't but actually, that script had a lot of cuts, so I think it was like cut to black. So oh, I, okay. I mean, I did have something. The
2: iris to black George Lucas effect. Yes. <laughs> so uh, Zach, in, little this,
1: little in this, because, in this, because in because of you not know, having a project, it actually yeah. gave us an opportunity to talk about mm-hmm. the history of motion pictures and how a script format changed the way the production was done
2: and, and shut down RKO pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. In, yeah. In, Entirely by 1956.
1: Yeah. And so uh, hopefully you've learned a little bit about yeah, no, it. Yeah, no, it was really good knowledge. Questions? Oh, man. Comments? Um, Comments?
0: Uh, one comment is that I, I'm always intrigued on how uh, legal law in the United States always infects film. Yeah, that's I, a th- problem. Th- that's it not infects. Really, That's not really about uh, script. Well, per se. you know, I mean... No, go ahead and
2: ask it.
3: Uh, you know, uh, the the law is important, and... Even awesome studios that put out awesome movies are not above the law. Right. So when well. when
1: things get in the way, you have to work around it. So there's a couple of different ways that... I mean, you don't want government messing with your stuff, right? No. And Rodrigo, nobody wants the government in their business, right? Right. So there's two ways that the government can get in your business. Or there's two ways that you can... Well, there's two things that can happen. The government gets in your business, or you do things to prevent them from having any interest in getting into your business. The first one is the lawmakers create laws, which we all hate, Mm -hmm. right? The second one is...
3: (laughs) We hate (laughs) laws. We hate
1: laws. Anarchy. (laughs) Hello, NSA. Um, The second one is you self-regulate, right? And so when we talk about the MPAA and we talk about the Hays Code, um, Mm -hmm. going back even farther to the Hays Code, Mm -hmm. that is the industry saying, hey, wait a minute, government. We don't want you stepping in and creating laws Mm -hmm. to tell us how to create these films. So we're going to create and and self-regulate ourselves. So we're going to create this Hays Code based on a, I I think, uh, priest, I think, if (laughs) I remember correctly. I'll go back Uh, and look. I'm pretty sure. And and the Catholic League getting involved. Mm -hmm. And then that Mm -hmm. turning into our motion picture uh, association ratings that we have today over time. Right. That's all self-regulation. Right. We don't have any film. I mean, we have certain laws, certainly you know, child pornography laws, those kinds of things that prevent you from shooting and doing certain things. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, we have a s- governing board that comes in and says your movie Zach is worth this rating, and based right, on the rating right. you get, that can be an, have an impact on your box Everything. office, your box office yeah. results. Yeah. And again, I if you haven't seen it, I know you've seen it, seen right? It. If the rest of you haven't seen it, this film, not yet rated, is a must see film. Mm. Just to f- it's see wonderful. how screwed up the MPAA is, right? And what so, happens when? So I mean, that's, absolute power that's, corrupts
3: absolutely. That's yeah. that's, that's that. That's something to think about, right? So, on the one hand, is like you certainly do not want the government in your business, right? But on the other hand, if you self-regulate, then you have private interests, right. in your business, right? And you know, from a if you if you want to take a very um, uh, cynical perspective, you could still have private uh, interest in your business when the government is regulating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, it's
1: it's kind of that it, it, you're going to be you're going to run into problems no well, matter what. Look at I mean, if you want a comparison of private interests versus government, look at the FCC and radio and look at film in the MPAA. Mm-hmm. That would be the best way to look at it. Right, Rodrigo?
2: Yes. Well, uh, but they're both screwed is the thing. Right. I mean, the the, the expectations are mm-hmm. similar, but I think that the excesses of specifically the Hayes office in the 30s and 40s – well, uh, not necessarily the Hayes office after all. What's-his-face took over? Um, the guy who was named after the Star Trek aliens whose name Spock. is – Spock. Hitler? Is- Green, <laughs> yeah, Yeah. Anyway, but you look at that. I mean, you look at things like the the Hayes office had such influence that they could I mean, they could shut down production yeah, yeah, if yeah, yeah. you didn't play along. I mean, to the point where yeah, the the line will always have Paris nebulously referring to what may or may not have happened between Rick and Ilsa in Paris.
1: Well, there's a the, whole, I mean, we need to have a yeah, whole, discussion. the reason that sure, exists sure. is
2: because the Hayes office said, no, they can't have slept together. That is immoral. Yeah. But when it, when it comes down to it, the excesses of either the FCC or right. the, uh, you know, the previous office are. they I think they're on different levels, yeah, they are, different because ends of the spectrum, but they're yeah. both Woohoo, crazy. Well, but well because, because when mind. you
3: have a government organization, it's like r- rules have to be applied evenly across the board. So right. there's no, uh, you can't argue art necessarily to a to a government board. Whereas right. where you have, where you're se- self-police, you have more leeway with that. Mm-hmm. But also now it's completely subjective right. to right. what
1: people think. And that was really a problem. And again, we'll go into this and I'll see if I can't get a special guest to come in and talk about that. But um, at one point, each community would have their own decency laws. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so Hayes, the city of Hayes in Hayes, Kansas, had its <laughs> own film commission. And I think they still do. I think it's still on the books. Um, but their job was to go and review every movie. And if they find something objectable, they could say, this movie cannot be shown in Hayes. Right. Or mm-hmm. let's cut okay. out a whole bunch of scenes. And oftentimes those scenes were... Put on a reel somewhere else and forgotten, and then that film was shipped to the next town. And so sometimes you hear and you'll discover these things of, oh, this entire reel was found stashed behind a, a wall in some <laughs> theater that was being torn down, and yeah. it's and it's this reel that's been missing since 1927, or these five mm-hmm. seconds that have been missing since you know 1932. It's yes. because of the the towns going in and chopping up their mm-hmm. own individual you know cuts of the film. I
0: think I'm gonna try to get on our board and see if I can. I think it's still on and the Try books. to better our theater and uh, say no, you can't bring that stupid movie here. Let's bring uh, better movies. I don't you can't think can't, they can't yeah. bring the new they... Katy Perry uh, yes. biopic in. No more G movies.
3: I
1: don't think they have the power that they once did. But if you were Darn. appointed I... to that, because uh, Matthew may remember Lila Lloyd. Um, he was actually still a card-carrying member of the committee, <laughs> and all he had to do was go to the movie theater and flash the card, and this was in the 1990s, just flash the yeah. card and he would get to go into the movie for free. Heck yeah. Because he was there to make sure that this movie met community standards.
3: Mm-hmm. Yep. See? Z- I'm Zach change al- the committee Zach, of Hayes. Zach is already feeling
1: <laughs> the pull of the dark Ooh. side. I, I, you <sighs> have to do some... Re- I have not researched it. I would be interested to find out if the board, if that committee, or if that... I think it's the committee. The Hayes... Hayes film, film decency decency i don't you'll have to look and see Is i'll, I'll, I'll be Hayes, at a commission meeting the haze
3: film women's temperance
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, it's probably yeah, like yeah. the the haze movie or motion picture committee or something like that okay you can, you'd have to call and do I some, some the research mayor. the
0: haze so, movie committee you, and that and starts with c and that rhymes with actually the yeah trouble. i film all the commission meetings
1: well, so i know all of them. them that doesn't mean your best buds but yeah
0: well no we're not best buds but we talk
3: Okay. So let me let me throw this out there while we're talking about it, um, and and this actually relates to like the the super tight uh, script formatting stuff. When you're making movies, there are going to be a lot of obstacles and a lot of restrictions. Yeah, 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 and you can do one of two things: you can either totally, well, you can do three things. One, fight them and probably lose. Yep, Damn two, man. completely. Um, acquiesce and probably make a so-so movie at best. You saying, or three, sir? try to kind of innovate around them. Hey, I'm a hipster. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, restriction breeds creativity. Well, the yeah. reason I think why, um, gener- in the general consensus, um, Star Wars, um, Return of the Jedi, and Empire Strikes Back, although not in that order. Yes, in that order. No, not in that order. Um, <laughs> sorry, I got to... N- n- I, yeah. are, are so much, I was gonna. yeah, I like and it. I, it's it's all right. Um, are good, mm-hmm. and the general consensus of um, Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and once again, <laughs> I've done them out of order, yeah, yeah. Um, no, <laughs> Attack of the Clones, of the yeah, clones, and then Revenge, Revenge of the, of the, the Sith, Sith, yeah, are considered bad, I think, was because the first time around, George Lucas had a ton of restriction and had to do so many things. With lower budgets and mm-hmm. just had to mm-hmm. innovate mm-hmm. around all of the restrictions. The second time around, he could do whatever he wanted, Anything. and he, he did whatever he wanted, and it turned out not as good. Not as good. So you have to take that those challenges and create things, and they're actually going to
1: potentially make your movie better if you find good ways around them. Now we've just spent this whole time harping on scripts and script formats and why you need to follow Mm -hmm. specific scripts. And if you're going to work in a studio system, or if you're looking to gain money or get money from a studio, make it rain. All this stuff. (laughs) No, Zach, I don't want you to stand it (laughs) up. Yeah. Woo. Um, yeah, Zach, (laughs) um, If you're going to work in that system, yeah, you need to follow that. But if you're doing stuff for yourself, if you're doing it in a Kevin Smith fashion or whatever, and you're not worried about funding, you're going to finance it yourself, or you can just sell the idea to somebody, or you're just working on a project for online, don't worry about format. Worry about telling a good story, Mm -hmm. right? That's the main Mm -hmm. thing. Even though you can follow format specifically, well, I formatted it correctly. Why won't you give me a million dollars? You (laughs) got to have a story that's interesting, right? Yeah, It has to have characters that appeal to an audience or appeal to somebody um, so that people can finance it and distribute it because that's ultimately what you want. But for yourself, write it how you want, right? Don't worry about the formats, but be aware of this because at some point you may be working for maybe not a movie studio, but an ad agency Mm. who needs to have a script properly formatted. You may be working for a TV station that needs a script properly formatted. So... You do need to you do need to learn the formats, but this was this was good then. Format? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah.
2: And now you know the one.
0: And, now and you now know the rest know of the story. More. And I believe that will. We got wrap a, we in. got a, actually, oh. an actual email. Do you have oh, an email? we have an email. Oh, oh yeah. we have an email. Yes, I forgot about the email. The l- wonderful email.
2: My name is Uh, Zach. Scrolly,
0: scrolly, scrolly to the bottom of the page. Dear Dear Stephen, Stephen. Zach, Matthew, Rodrigo, and all, I just wanted to say how much I enjoy the Zach on Film series. There's no shortage of schmucks to review, mock, or breathlessly worship great films. Great in quotations. Much rarer is finding people who bother to examine their technical and creative importance in cinema history. Kudos. Once the grass gets a little greener for me, I will be sure to feed your funding goat. P.S. I'm sure you'll get a million and one requests for reviews. But is there any Brando on the queue? A lot of folks credit On the Waterfront with the transition from from actors acting as if in a theater production with exaggeration and projection to more modern techniques. You have done such an awesome job with the technical context of filmmaking. I'd love to hear your take on the evolution of acting. Well, guess what? Next time we are actually looking at Marlon Brando's On the Waterfront.
1: Stella. Well, we give Wait, a quick shout out no, to that some that of the people way. that uh, made no. this
2: uh, episode possible. That's a streetcar. Yeah, that yeah, is that, a streetcar.
1: Although car. early in the film, when he's yelling up at uh, at the guy, he uh, yeah. helps kill <laughs> <laughs> Gary. He's almost kind of no, like that. That's it that's almost funny. sounds that way when he's doing it. So
2: is that the one where he's he could have been something, but instead yes, he's a yeah, contender? What I one, am? That's the one. Yeah, I always get those confused. You want to do some shout outs? Yeah, there, let's Zach do some shout outs.
0: Shout out to people that make this episode possible Michael Watanabe, Seamus Door, Jared Torre, Justin Norris, yep. Lins Kong Yep, Christopher Lins-Kong. Dally, Amber Didn't, Josh Payne, Paul Fassett, and Stephen Propst. <laughs> Thank you, every one of you, for your donations to Major Spoilers and keeping
1: shows like this possible.
2: I think that's Seamus, by the way. Seamus? Seamus. Shames. next time
1: next time everybody on the waterfront oh and if you want to um you want to go check out uh, some of these things i've put a link in the show notes yeah go to yes.
3: majorspoilers.com yes. and uh if you if if it's been a while if this podcast came out 10 years ago f- hello future people yes. go to uh the the navigation bar Click on podcast, go down to Zach on film, and you should be able to track it. And if you're You'll listening to it.
1: this and you, there's a link, there's actually a link in the RSS feed mm-hmm. that will take you right to this particular post There you go, over at Majorspoilers.com. And if you're wanting to and check out some of these films, planet, if say, you hey. want to go and check out some of the silent films, if you're wanting to look and see about checking out uh, The Godfather, which we'll be reviewing in a couple of weeks, or if you want to just see On the Waterfront... Click on that Amazon.link and you can buy it through there. A little bit comes our way, a little bit of funding that we're talking about Mm -hmm. and allows uh, us to build better productions for you.
0: Yep, that's going to be it on Zach on Film. Thanks for being with us this week. And next week we will talk on the waterfront with more Zach on Film.